Before we get to today's show, let me tell you about HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you keep your customers happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at the networking event. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. It brings together service and success together on one platform. With AI-powered help desk and chatbots to handle your frontline support tickets. So you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. Hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain. I am your co-host, Kip Bodner. I am joined as always with my fearless co-host from across the pond in Ireland, Kieran Flanagan. What's up, Kieran? I am fresh off a weekend of tennis, Kip. Oh, I want to get into that. But before we get into your tennis stories, I got to tell the listeners what we're talking about today. We have a hot topic full of hot takes today. And that topic is the role of intellectual property in marketing. We are going to argue today that used to be, if you're a marketer, you didn't even consider or think about intellectual property for the most part. And we are going to argue that it is going to need to be a core skill over the coming decade. And we're going to outline why we think so and why that's going to be true. It is going to be awesome. Stick around. I want though. Kieran, to hear how your tennis playing went. You know what it really brought home to me is learning how to do things the right way is so much harder than just doing them the wrong way. <laughs> totally. I used to play tennis and never had lessons. I played on a team, played in a league, but I just learned how to play and had my own way of playing. So I got a coach and they're teaching me how to play the right way. And you have to kind of unlearn everything that you have learned in terms of bad habits to learn how to play the right way. So a good little bit of advice for all you all out there is learning how to do something the right way is harder but actually gives you better long-term scale. One of the things that I think is fascinating about sports and the evolution of sports is, Kieran, you're talking about playing tennis, which is amazing. The sport that is taking shape in America right now is pickleball. And pickleball is this awesome lesson for everybody to learn, which is just basically easier tennis made possible for anybody with lower skills and of any age bracket to play. So one of the greatest hacks you can do in this world is to take something that is beloved by a a group of people and make it applicable to a way, way bigger audience and big group of people. And we are seeing that happen in the US right now on the pickleball side of things. Where you see that for people in the tech industry is the code versus no code. Yes. There was a really great tweet on this from Zach Weinsberg, who's the one of the hosts of the Cartoon Avatars podcast, which is a great podcast. And he talked about the fact a lot of great companies today could just build on top of things like Airtable and Zapier and these no-code tools, and you really do not need to code a lot of the custom apps you used to have to do in the past. So I, I agree, like decrease complexity, increase the total number of people that they can market this product or service to. So decrease complexity, increase TAM is a really great business model. If you are an avid pickleball player and listener marketing against the grain, drop us a tweet at Kit Bodner at SearchBrat or let us know in Apple Podcasts in, in the Apple Podcast review. We'd love to see how people are keeping active outside of the marketing world. Before we get into today's show, I want to let you know, Kieran, I did two outdoor activities this past weekend. I mountain biked and I played golf. So which of those two sports do you think I hurt myself doing? Mm, golf. Golf these two gentlemen were letting me play through. Except one of the gentlemen, though he was 50 yards from the bathroom, decided that he was going to use the bathroom out on the golf course 
And so I was trying to like not get peed on. Oh my and God. I totally just fell and busted my shoulder. I thought you meant there was like public toilets on the... No, 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 he was no, no. He was just going around oh. the golf course. And I was having to walk around him. Oh, jeez. So, so there's that. So I'm recovering from a, a little bit of a fall and bruised shoulder action, but otherwise feeling great. Kieran, I know before we got into our big topic of intellectual property today, you had something that you wanted to share that you'd found on the interwebs. Let's drop it for the listeners. Yeah, I'll do this real quick. I thought this is a cool thread from Sam Backman, who is the founder of FTX. And we had to bring a little crypto into this show. I know, I knew it wasn't going to get left out. This is a VC thing and how it impacts marketers versus a, a, a crypto specific thing. He did this great thread on something he calls the financial circle jerk. <laughs> what he's basically getting at is how much of VC's capital goes into companies who are making no money but giving away a product for like less than the amount of money that product costs. Mm -hmm. He gave the example of like pizzas, like DoorDash and these kind of companies mm -hmm. who just give away food and because of growth run at a loss, so they're really giving away those things for free. Companies raise money from VCs. Companies spends money in Meta and Google mm -hmm. to attract customers. Customers get product at a loss, so they get it for free, really. Those growth numbers help company raise more money from VCs. VCs give them more money, and then they put that money back into <laughs> Google and Facebook. And then those VCs also invest in Meta and Google. And what he's talking about is 40% of all VC money raised by companies goes into Google and Meta. And those companies run at a loss. So they actually are not trying to make profit back on that, on that yeah. money. They're just trying to raise their next round. And that's why you've seen this huge increase in CPMs over the last two years, because there's never been so much money raised in terms of startup capital. And I thought it was just really cool the way he called that out. And it does... It does really make you think, what the hell are we all doing sometimes, guys? <laughs> what are we all doing? Why are we making this all harder for ourselves? For folks who are listening to the pod and at longtime listeners, you've probably heard us a couple of times talk about Balaji. Mm. So at Balaji's on Twitter, B-A-L-A-J-I-S, Balaji Srinivasan, who was the chief technology officer at Coinbase for a long time, had a biotech company, one of the predominant thinkers on the internet from my perspective. And he shared some pretty interesting data, Kieran, as to why that circle you just talked about happens and why intellectual property, from my point of view, is going to become a key marketing skill set. And he shared some data on Americans' trust in newspapers and television news. Oh, I saw this. And so for everybody listening, in, in basically 1990, there was about 45% of Americans had a great deal or quite a lot of trust in television news. And today, that is down from over 45% to 11%. Oh, my God. And in the same period of time, newspapers had about 39% of Americans had a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in newspapers. And today, that is down to 16%. Wow. So there's been this massive erosion of Huge. trust in the world. And because of that... Businesses are looking at new ways to reach their audiences because the old ways of reaching their audience just don't work anymore. That's why people are going to Google and Facebook. That's why people are going to TikTok. And that's why marketers are using new tactics to try to build brands and reach people because the media infrastructure of this country, at least in America, and I think beyond America, is very weak right now. And the sentiment and trust around it is very weak. And I think, Kieran, that was one of the theses you and I took on when we bought The Hustle and we decided to build a lot of our own media efforts is that we wanted to have more control and an opportunity to build trust. 
versus been more and more money and time being a part of uh, industries that were becoming less trusted, right? And so this also leads into the topic about intellectual property. And intellectual property is how we actually think about licensing and taking advantage of ideas online today to build brands and drive growth for businesses. And I want to kick it off to you. I know you've got some some thoughts on this topic around intellectual property and why marketers need to care about it way, way more the next 10 years than they have the last 10 years. Yeah, and I think a lot of this is coming from Web3. I think Web3 is reshaping how we think about IP and yes, the yes. the impact of IP. So I'll start off with a quick example, and then I have something else a little bit later I'd love to get into as well. So Moonbirds, Moonbirds, Kevin Rose, ex-day investor, well-known mm-hmm. investor, very, very big in Web3, has tons of different businesses with M3, has a great podcast. So Moonbirds is an NFT project that he released from the Proof community, I think it was called. Yep. They've done over 500 million in sales this year, the most successful, I think, NFT, or one of them this most successful this year. When they sold Moonbirds, when you actually bought a Moonbird NFT, you actually own the IP, right? Yeah. So that was like, you were buying it in part because, I don't know if that's the reason you would buy it, but you actually own the IP. And what does that mean? Well, I actually can own the IP and I actually can go and build things on top of this IP, but if you want to use that, you have to pay me royalty. Kevin came out with a pretty interesting post recently where he said, we're going to move all Moonbird's IP license into something called CC0, Creative mm-hmm. Commons license, which mm-hmm. means really there's no copyright reserved, which means I can use Moonbird's in anything I want. I don't have to pay anything. I don't have to pay anyone a royalty. So why was this interesting? It's pretty interesting because he described it as the distribution power of having a freemium IP and so if you think about Ethereum, if you mm-hmm. compare it to a platform like Ethereum, which is a decentralized open source platform that has a smart contract functionality, but it allows other people to build decentralized apps on top of that and extend its functionality and extend awareness for Ethereum. Very much like that. That's how they think about IP as a way to extend Moonbirds, right? I can now come in and all these creators can build on top of the IP of Moonbirds, get a lot of additional distribution from Moonbirds. And that's one of the ways the project can grow. Now, if you're a Moonbird holder, you probably feel good or bad about that because yes. you bought it thinking you own the IP. But that's that's when I started to think, Kip, and I think I pinged you when we were thinking about things for this show. Wow, IP is a pretty interesting way to grow brand and awareness for your project. Open it up to your community and see what interesting things they do with it. Yeah, so, so there's a couple of things here. There's an important debate that everybody listening needs to understand. So when you are thinking about intellectual property, you're thinking about the ownership of ideas, first and foremost, right? And the second is you have to make a strategic bet as to how free you want to make that those ideas versus how much you want to monetize those ideas, right? And the example Kieran just gave with Moonbirds is that Kevin Rose basically said, hey, you no longer own the, the project owner, said you no longer own this IP. We're, we're making it open and available to everybody. And that's because we want the project to spread because there, I think there's 10,000 Moonbirds, for example. And so when you let each holder own the intellectual property, you benefit those 10,000 people. When you open it up free, you let far more than those 10,000 people benefit, which is all well and good and interesting. I would say as an aside, I think Kevin should have bought out the IP rights 
for all the holders, all the holders should have gotten a payment for mm. the, their their IP rights because yep. I think that would have been the fair and right thing to do. That's what my expectations would be if I was a holder of that project or if I was the owner of that IP. It's give you some type of payout against the way you would would use that, and then hopefully the the opening up of it will will completely change and evolve. But intellectual property isn't limited to Web three. I want to make that that very clear. Kieran, I have a great story that I want to share for you. Here is a story of a brand that is using creative strategies to build their own intellectual property. One of my favorite brands out there from a marketing perspective right now is Cash App, which is a subsidiary of what used to be Square, now it's called Block, and it's competitor to Venmo and other and PayPal and other payment companies. And they are marketing the hardest thing out there to market, cash, a com- what is essentially a commodity good. If you're any kind of financial institution, you're trying to market cash. They're doing something very interesting. What I love about what Cash App is doing is that they have their own clothing line. They are building intellectual property around their brand by creating a clothing line called Cash. So they're taking their like core brand and they're extending it to popular culture and doing this clothing line not to make money, but as a pure marketing and expense. And the reason they can do that is because now the ability to open up a web store and create custom clothing is way easier, way cheaper than it ever has been before. And it opens up the tool to them to use this as a tactic to build the intellectual property and brand of Cash App and extend it in very unique and interesting ways. What do you think about what Cash App is doing and the the other kind of non-Web3 takes on intellectual property? I was actually going to go back to a Web3 take. (laughs) (laughs) Web3 troll. A non-NFT version, but I think it's applicable to Web2, but let me make the point on the Web3 and then we can see if it's applicable because it's very much what what you talked about. The thing that you're talking about is actually using your product, which is extensible, and like showcasing that in a variety of ways, right? Like they're not trying to make revenue, I'm sure, from the clothing line. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a way to make extend their product and showcase the product. Yep. And actually, when you look at a lot of the Web3 protocols and the way that they're set up, Web3 protocols are completely decentralized. All of the money goes into a treasury and that treasury funds, usually marketing and growth teams that build things on top of the protocol to actually drive users into using those apps, which in default use a protocol like so to extend the protocol and to mm-hmm. actually get that protocol much more known by building things on top of it and then there's a whole other different plays to get developers and all these different people to, to build on top of that so i think your example is like very similar right it's a really great way to take something that you want to showcase but do it in a very novel and a very differentiated way love that and i think that is more creativity like that i think more creativity like that plus it's way more fun to work in those things if you are a marketing team, a growth team, a team that is helping to extend awareness of that product. Yeah, so what what I think is interesting, and I want to kind of frame this up for everybody listening. If you think about intellectual property of maybe the past 50 years as relates to marketing, it was largely marketers licensing intellectual property from other companies, whether it be the right to have a movie character in a commercial, anything like that, for example, right? And what I think we're pointing out is that there's a bunch of new ways to take advantage of intellectual property going forward. 
One of those ways is to build your own IP. We use the Cash App example. Kieran, I would argue like on the B2B side of things, category creation is an amazing example of intellectual property where you go and you build, you say, hey, I've got this great product. I don't think it fits in this existing market. I'm going to build this new market and be the leader in that market. Right. And it's this really fascinating thing where you're not trademarking that term for that category. You don't want to own it, but you want to be the leader in that category. And I think if you're a B2B marketer, that is now becoming a key part of your playbook. And that is using intellectual property for marketing leverage. Right. That is why this is all so, so very important. And then the next part of it to understand that, Kieran, I think you did a great job covering that I want to make sure we go over for our listeners is that in Web3, what there's an opportunity to do is extend the value of your intellectual property that you've created as a brand to your customers more directly, whether it be through projects, royalties, payments, different things. And that is, I think, on the horizon, the next opportunity for really sophisticated and smart companies and brands to take advantage of. Yeah. Let me give you one of my favorite examples of this in Web3 and one of my favorite stories about an NFT project that does this, because it's very applicable to what you said in mm -hmm. terms of how do I think about this as a marketer? How can this extend my brand or help to actually drive awareness through my brand? And I think category creation is a really good example of that outside of Web3. But in Web3, there's a really great project called Nouns NFT. Oh, yeah. I love Nouns. Every day there is a new Noun for you to buy. There's a total of 404 Nouns to date being bought. Every one of those goes for about $100,000. They were one of the first NFT projects to use the Creative Commons license. So everyone can use nouns for free. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means they have a decentralized autonomous organization, a DAO who can vote on proposals to promote the brand in really creative ways. And every sale of a noun actually goes into their treasury. So it, they actually give money to the treasury that that DAO can spend. They have about $34 million in that treasury. Look at the cool things that they have done to extend their brand through this Creative Commons license. They have give Budweiser a noun to promote that mm -hmm. during the Super Bowl. I'm sure people saw the cool glasses at the Super Bowl. They financed a noun member to open up a coffee shop nice. to promote the brand. So they actually had a proposal to say, hey, we're going to build a coffee shop and promote the brand of nouns. They created a documentary film for nouns. Wow. And so they, so they have really open sourced the creative, and just let people propose how they want to extend that creative. And then they fund those projects through the DAO. And I think that's a really great example for marketers on how you can figure out how to get people to remix your brand. If you have a real great creative brand and some great creative IP, how can you open it up to the community and let them remix it for you? And I think that's a, Nouns is one of my favorite examples. I think I'm going to buy it's like hard to get into nouns, right? Because yeah. they're hundred, hundred. The floor price is hundred thousand, but they're the, very expensive. Yeah, I was gonna say if you're buying a nouns, dude, like good, good for you. No, so did you see that they they launched little nouns? No. So little nouns are uh, every fifteen minutes. You can buy one of these every day. Uh -huh. Little nouns you can buy every fifteen minutes, and it still gets you into the noun community. But they're yeah. obviously a fraction of the price. I think they're going for maybe. 0.2.3 of an ETH, which is about today, because ETH is on a on a March, maybe about six to seven hundred dollars. Okay, okay. So that's a much different entrance price than a hundred thousand dollars. Right. But the key point Kieran is making for everybody listening, this is my interpretation, is wow, there's a real opportunity with intellectual property to let your community remix your brand. But to do that, 
there's a direct correlation between how open you are with your intellectual property and the ability to remix. Right. Right. And so in the nouns example that you're using here, it's, oh, they're exceptionally open, not just on their intellectual property, but on the money they have for their community to remix their brand. And that is all public and happen. And that's, I think, the far extreme of this. There's obviously different delineations of it as you go back. But what you have to say is, hey, if I'm a brand where I'm locking down my IP, and if anybody so much as whispers my trademarks, like I am going to send the trademark police and the lawyers after them, <laughs> then you should have the expectation of no brand remixing, no, no leverage off of your IP. You are basically playing it safe and conservative on leveraging your own IP for your marketing perspective because you're going all monetization of your brand versus trying to continue to build the brand with your intellectual property. Do you agree with kind of the relationship between those two things, Kieran? Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's super important that you learn when do you have to be guarded and when you can you be unguarded. A really great example of how you can do this in a practical terms for, for marketers was Salim Elise. Mm -hmm. Salem Elise. Yeah, we, we had on the pod. Shout out Salem. Awesome TikToker. Her song, Crypto Boy, she opened it up to the community recently and let them all remix it. It was all over my feed. All yeah. of the remixes, people post in their version. She would sing the first part of it and then she would open it up and she would edit in the video of her audience singing the next part with their own lyrics. Like It's very simplistic things like that that actually you can open up and have community kind of remix things and build creativity on, on top of it. I think this is a, a super fascinating area for marketers to play around with. Yeah, I, I want to do a recap for everybody listening. So we started off by basically talking about, wow, so much of marketing is getting commoditized and homogenized with spending on Google and Facebook, which those are important channels. You should not do those. But if that's all you're doing, you're just you're never going to differentiate. And we're saying, oh, wow, intellectual property is this very interesting way to differentiate, whether you are licensing, building your own, opening up your own to much more of a community effort. And again, I want to go to B2B, I think a classic example for if you're at a smaller B2B company out there, when you create a category, would you make it really easy for your community to make it their own swag with your brand? Things mm. like that are things yep. that are going to happen at even the smaller company level. This is not just a big scale consumer brand opportunity. It is looking at, hey, what is the intellectual property that we have and how do we get the community more involved with that or how do we better monetize that so that we can invest in the community and in the brand in other ways i think needs to be on the forefront of every smart marketer's brain over the next couple of years so that is intellectual property i i, I want to know what questions you have about intellectual property hit us up on twitter at kit bodner at search Brat. Leave us a review in Apple Podcasts if you want us to go a deeper dive in anywhere in this topic. We wanted to do the high-level overview, and based on feedback, we can follow up with, with some deep dive. Before we close out for everybody today, Kieran, anything else you want to add on the topic? Not on the topic. Are you in a ride on A16, giving Adam Newman a $350 million check? <laughs> For flow, have you seen this yet? No, what happened? What happened? So, A16 have just invested in Adam Newman's latest company called Flow. It is the largest check they have ever done 350 million into a pre launch product, which Ooh. is looks like it's going to be like a WeWork for residential property and it values the company at a billion dollar plus. 
before they've even earned a cent or actually even launched. So congrats to Adam. I, for one, am excited for the new Apple series that will be done on this latest startup <laughs> in five years' time. Oh, man, that is a risky bet. <laughs> That's a risky bet. I am out on investing in people who I, I do not have confidence in or I think are sketchy, a.k.a. Adam. Uh, bomb of WeWork fame for everybody. I am pro. I see what A16 is doing. They're just taking massive high beta bets. Either this is going to be a huge thing or it's going to completely fail. They are just yep. trying to. They're just trying to make huge, huge returns at this point. And I think the venture capital world is getting closer in that direction, which I think in some ways is good for the world, in some ways isn't good for the world. But uh, mm. I think big step change functions are are really good. But I am I am not pro doing that with somebody who maybe doesn't have the best track record in delivering. <laughs> there you go, Adam. <laughs> okay, that was an optimistic way to end the episode. Yeah, but in yeah. all seriousness, to everybody listening, Kira and I are psyched about intellectual property. It's something that we're thinking about and talking about on a real regular basis. And we wanted to ignite that conversation with you. We hope that you've enjoyed. Again, leave, leave a review with any questions and comments. And we will see you again very soon on Marketing Against the Grain.